And then Kai and his crew came along with Modern Collective, and I was like, fuck your Pennywise, you boomers. Like, here's some European techno and, like, weird fog lights. Like, it was so different. It just marked this shift, and it never went back to Pennywise. Welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, and we've got a little bit of a shorter episode for you this week. It's just going to be Buck and myself, and we have a really good range of topics, honestly, to talk about, from Oscar Langborn's date with Mike Tyson to Switch Stance Surfing, and one of us is going to go Switch for an entire week. Um, we also are going to talk about small wave surfboards and all these different proprietary technologies that are out there, and if any of them actually do anything, if they're all the same, if it's all just smoke and mirrors. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the new episode of How Surfers Get Paid, and we're going to talk a lot about Dane's new movie, Glad You Scored, which is now playing on both Stab Premium and just the general free airwaves. So, yeah, let's go straight into it. All right, Mikey, we both need haircuts. I could see that immediately. That is very true, but more importantly, huge swell hits France. That's an email I just got from ripitup.tv in your old neighborhood of France. Yeah, yeah, that was last weekend. Um, that day, I surfed windy, very well, closed out alone. And I didn't realize how big it was. Like, I just did, wasn't really looking at things that closely. And at one point, I just, like, made it out the back after some effort. And a set came, and I kind of just looked at it. And I was like, whoa, what is happening here? And, like... It was just so walled, like no ability to even go anywhere in either direction. And was like, I have not seen a wave like this in a while. I was on like a 5.2. I was going to ask, yeah, what do you ride when it's like that? But of course it's a 5.2. Well, if I had actually looked at it, I would have, I don't know. I don't know where I would have surfed. Like the wind was all right for super tubos. It was super crowded. It wasn't really getting in there. And it would have been like chest high and like a million people. And I, I don't think I would have went there. And then it was kind of onshore, sideshore everywhere else. So I don't know what I would have done if I was being smart, but I wasn't being smart, which is kind of the norm. Well, I just had my first surf in a couple of weeks, I think. No, no, no. I guess just a week because I had that, that amazing swell that uh, nobody else was able to catch last week. The upwelling, yeah. <laughs> the upwelling, yeah. But uh, I rode a mid-length today. So oh my that's God, did my you? alternative experience, yes. <laughs> you know, this isn't the surf sins. We do that at oh, the end. Speaking of surf sins, so... Last week we mentioned, you know, we were talking about that Paul Evans story about sand, and I said at the end I had this little thing about, you know, fuck squeaky sand, etc. So Shinya, our art director, reached out to us and said that that's basically a surf sin, and that squeaky sand is great, blah, blah, blah. And I thought he was an absolute psychopath. Like, it didn't even register in my mind that somebody could possibly, possibly like squeaky sand. But Shin basically said, no, this is like, yeah, people love this stuff. And I was like, you're... an absolute idiot so we decided to go and put a poll on stab's instagram 58 percent of people said they liked squeaky sand i i do not know like i don't know if i'm living in like an alternate universe or what's going on like squeaky sand is the worst sound i mean it's worse than nails on chalkboard it is just absolutely horrid and yet somehow i am in the minority well you are too because you said that you agreed with this so that is absolutely demoralizing and i'm gonna have to take a second to just question every other thing that i just assumed as a fact in this life so while i do that um i guess let's get into the news how surfers get paid episode two so we talked about episode one last week we're gonna keep it vague again because we don't want to ruin any surprises for people 
So I'm going to start super vague here and just say, can you imagine being AI's handler back in the day? <laughs> uh, no, I imagine it's a little bit like being Ashton Goggins' handler, but with like much harder drugs involved. Yeah, well, I was just thinking like, it was this crazy era where there's a bunch of money pumping into it, but it's still not like, like now there's less money, but it's more pro, right? Like if any big deal that's getting signed, even though it might be worth less than it was back then, it's signed through managers and people and it's all formal and there's a certain code of conduct that's kind of expected because the whole culture has shifted that way. Whereas back then it was this mix of like money but still wild culture. And I just can't imagine having to be the person showing up and telling Andy Irons like, hey man, we really need you to wear this t-shirt like on a photo shoot. Like can just fucking imagine if that was your job. Yeah, it's probably like putting a tuxedo on a jellyfish. Oh my God. Like I, I really cannot imagine being in that role and somebody had to do it. And it doesn't sound like it went well according to this episode. Apparently he had to get fined a couple times just because that was the only thing he responded to when he wouldn't, um, you know, stick to what was written in his contract. But... Yes, and that is like one of a thousand incredible tidbits from episode two of How Surfers Get Paid and episode one for that matter. But we really don't want to give too much away on this series because, yeah, we just don't want to spoil people's viewing experience. There's so many just things to learn and watch and big names and big faces. So we're going to actually have Sam McIntosh come on next week to do a big debrief on this series. He's going to, you know, explain what his reasons for making it were, some of his biggest findings, how Stab actually fits into this. He's going to answer some of the questions that he's been asking people to answer about financials, maybe, about Stab um, back in the champagne and cocaine days. And he's also going to explain why we're taking a little break after episode two. So the episode that just went live is the last episode of How Surfers Get Paid that you're going to see for a little bit. It's not over. We're just taking a break, and Sam will explain why that is. So if you haven't already... Get yourself a Stab Premium membership and catch up on what many people are actually calling the best series we've ever made. We also have a limited time 20% discount code for our core podcast listeners, which is Drop Wallets. That's Drop Wallets, one word. And trust us, you will not feel remotely guilty about making this purchase once you learn how much money Bobby Martinez turned down at the peak of his powers. So how servers get paid? Go give it a watch. Go get into it and... Enjoy the story about where Dane signed his first Quicksilver contract, because what a location. What a great place. Mike Tyson, Jamie Foxx, and Oscar Langburn walk into a bar together. This sounds like a headline where you're trying to kind of get weird with like a, an edit that somehow you know, use the Jamie Foxx song and maybe there's some, a tiger in it. I don't know. It sounds like a made up thing that you're doing kind of as a joke, but this is actually just reporting. This is just fact. I mean, it sounded like if anything, it sounded more like a restaurant than a bar, but I would imagine there was a bar in the restaurant. Uh, I don't know, maybe when people waited for the reservation or I'm sure they had cocktail service. So they walked into a bar slash restaurant together, these three together and not just like saw them, Oscar's here, they're at a different table. These three people were at a table together uh, this week, and what an incredible thing. <laughs> Can you imagine two more like diametrically different people than Oscar Langborn and Mike Tyson? I just love them together, though. I love them together. I agree with you that they're so... I don't even know who's yin and who's yang. 
yeah, I've got some ideas. But, yeah, they are really just different ends of the spectrum, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, so this came about, um, we, we basically got the inside story from Oscar Langborn. Uh, Ethan Davis got on the phone with him to talk about this crazy encounter that he had when he was over visiting Ruka in California. That's his main sponsor, obviously. And Pat Tenore is obviously the founder of Ruka, and he's got some, like, really big connections in all aspects of the world and culture and sports and entertainment and everything. So, um, yeah, he just asked Oscar if he wanted to go out for dinner one night and lo and behold, who was sitting at the table, but iron Mike. Yeah. And I mean, that's really it. Other than that, it's just, he talks about how nice Mike Tyson was really, which he's been doing a lot of podcasts and stuff lately. And he does sound like a lovely guy. I mean, it sounds like he obviously had a crazy childhood and some wild shit happened in his life. Um, ears etc biting but i guess the only other detail we really need to touch on here is that the tiger ownership came up so mike tyson has owned three tigers one of them used to sleep in the bed with him and this this came up over the course of the dinner conversation and oscar even says like i thought that was kind of just like a crazy thing that the hangover made up in the movie but like no he had three tigers and one slept with him so yeah, I, I, that doesn't even make any sense to me. I don't know. How do you how do you sleep with a tiger? I don't know. I mean, how do you win as many things as he did and bite a guy's ear off? He's just different. He's a different kind of wavelength guy. So I I get it. I guess. I mean, maybe there's ways to subdue the tiger a little bit. Maybe it's like a respect thing. I don't know. But the one thing I think about when I read this is like. What happens if you're a Ruka surfer and you see this, you read it, and then you're visiting California, Pat calls you up and you're going to get dinner and then you just kind of go to like a little Mexican spot and that's it. Like what do you, how do you, if you're on the Ruka team and you don't have a dinner with Mike Tyson, would you just be like immediately afraid that you're going to get dropped when your contract's up? Like how, how do you kind of make sense of that? I don't know, but it also makes me think of how Jamie Foxx comes into this story as well. And apparently he's like pitching Mike on this movie role. And I think I learned from this the best possible way that you can ever say no to someone or just get out of a situation that you don't want to be in. You just tell him, I'm just passing through. Ah. You want to go out to dinner tonight? Oh, I'm just passing through. <laughs> do you want to go, uh, you know, do you want to um, be part of my new business venture? Oh, I'm just passing through. You going left or right? Oh, I'm just passing through. That's good. That's good. That's good. I mean, Reef made a movie called that, didn't they? Anyway, that's that. And if you're on Ruka and you don't get dinner with Mike Tyson, you're probably getting fired. So good luck. Uh, maybe open a surf camp. Premium Peak. Glad you scored a movie by Dane Reynolds. And it's unlike anything I've seen before. I mean, I fucking love this thing. I like all of Dane's stuff, but this one made me think of, like, at least in uh, in my time of being alive, you had these certain people who came in and started making films that really just felt so different and changed things. Just felt like a generation had shifted. You know, Taylor Steele was a good example, and then... Kai Neville came along and all of a sudden like, you know, he kind of took the same format of getting the best surfers. Everybody has their parts, but you had Taylor Steele and there was a certain vibe to it. There's even the skits that had like a similar soundtrack, every film. 
And then Kai and his crew came along with Modern Collective, and I was like, fuck your Pennywise, you boomers. Like, here's some European techno and, like, weird fog lights. Like, it was so different. It just marked this shift, and then never went back to Pennywise, you know? I don't think Dane's format is replicable, but I do think it's so different than what else is out there. And it is, like, honestly, the talent that he gets in there and, and what he's making is, I think, the best stuff out there. And it does, to me, represent, like, a shift in the way that Kai's stuff represented a shift. Yeah, well, it's it's, like, a much more tasteful take on what modern people are actually liking, which is vlogs, essentially, right? Like, it's documenting all the moments in between and then of course the the peak moments as well but the things that you like almost remember most are those like little interactions that happen between you know the things that would have made it into modern collective that would have made it into campaign so he's like taken this thing that's obviously been way overdone oversaturated it's really corny and he even has this moment at the end where he like really digs into that whole like vlog youtube tiktok instagram culture and just like just nails it right on the head but what he's done is basically just made a more tasteful version of the new form of cinema yeah it's so good and even like you said those moments that are in between i get bummed out because i think that's something that i really miss in surfing i think just as a result of where i live and especially i just try to surf every day and a lot of times the waves are bad and i'm often alone i don't really have that that camaraderie i grew up with it for sure and when i go back home i have it but the moments that he captures of just like drinking beers in the parking lot and laughing and just making fun of shit like that honestly to me is some of the most fun stuff in surfing like i know that people almost gravitate to like soft tops and like finless boards because they want to like reconnect with the fun in surfing and i guess i don't i can't ever relate to that like i i don't know that doesn't really seem like the fun that i feel like i'd ever be missing to me, it's more about the fun that happens outside of the water that is like kind of just this product of chasing waves, this byproduct, I guess. And I miss it so much. And he does such a good job of capturing it and making it feel just irreverent and funny. And I have a question for you. Would you be proud? Because there's, there's that. There's the kind of behind-the-scenes moments of them just fucking around. But then like there's so much of just other people, kind of random people, like burning the servers in the film and falling and stuff. Would you be proud or bummed if you got a clip in there and that was you? <laughs> oh, I think it depends on the clip, man. There's some that you would be really, really ashamed of and some that's just like, oh, it's funny. But um, yeah, I think if, if I had to weigh it without knowing what clip it was going to be, I would steer clear of it. It is not worth the risk. Yeah, I don't know. I think it'd be cool. I, they're clearly making fun, but like, think about the word making fun. Like, why not? Like, why not? It would suck, yeah, if you burn something on a good one and that got featured, but, like, if it's just you falling or doing something stupid or, like, walking down the beach just kind of looking dumb in general, like, I'd be happy. I'd be down with it. Yeah, there's a clip in the intro. So when they're introducing all the surfers in the film, like, some of them they show the, you know, the text on screen of the surfer's name with an image of the surfer, and some of them they show them with an image of, like, a random person. Yeah. And there's this, like, one clip when they're showing Mickey Clark's name. Oh, yeah. And it's this surfer who, like, it's it's not Mickey, but he has, like, a style that somebody who is one 
10th the surfer of mickey but it's it's not a dissimilar style to mickey's if that makes sense and it like really uh-huh. does feel like dane's just like taking the piss a little bit and it's like oh man like i wonder if mickey watches that and it's like oh fuck like does dane think i surf like that i know out of that whole montage that one really stuck out to me too i was like what is that it, i was it broke my brain for a second i had to do the math which yeah i don't know how that would make you feel but it's fine i don't know it's all just for a funny little thing so and as funny as it is, there is some great surfing. You mentioned that end section before, and especially you mentioned Dane on the beach um, making fun of vlogs. I think vlogs are dead after that. Like, how do you come back after? Here, Nimdo, fucking scoring, perfect wave, chicks, beers, bin gangs, waves, fucking hits, crazy, 4K video up tonight, scoring in Indo, insane, empty waves. And did he plan that? Do you think like, was that like in the, like, cause it, that whole day, like there, there's the whole lead up scene where, you know, they feel like they need to get this last score to finish the film. And then it's Hunter the day before, like trying to hype them up, like, just, just go, just back paddle some kids and just pack some tubes. Like, please, we need this. And then Dane comes in and it's like, those glasses are right there. Like the cell phones are right there. It seems like it was almost like he just like had it in his mind. Like, do you think he went into that with that idea or that just was truly an organic moment? I have a theory there, actually. Did you see the waves he just got? I mean, he's going full big wave Dane. And especially that one, like that was, that was, I don't know, better than a lot of the waves that we saw getting perfect scores at Chopu. That was, I was just going to say, that was like what Matthew McGillivray did if Matthew McGillivray had any idea what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was, that was seriously one of the most technical backside drops I've ever, ever, ever seen that Dane does on the last wave of the film. And yeah, he jokes about not having surfed, like, anything more than Waze High Emma Wood for two years, like, and then that just happens, like, I think you're on such a high after that 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 just came out. I don't think that was planned. I think, like, he was just... You could tell he's just coming out from that session. I recognize that wave. Um, and I could see the beach there. I think he's just on the... Coming in from that, just, like, on a high and just feeling so good. And you could tell, too, because, like, I love how much shit they give Hunter Martinez throughout it. I feel like there's nothing better than when people can make fun of a filmer and the filmer kind of appreciates it like that's just kind of a good dynamic i think and that happens throughout the film like he's misses a clip they're all making fun of him they like film him there's one shot where he's just kind of on this hill and there's birds everywhere and they're laughing at him like and i feel like whenever you see a filmer who's like really trying their best and everybody else kind of laughing at them it's just if something about it feels good but you could tell like how on his level dane is in that little moment after that crazy wave and i think it just kind of came out of excitement that's my theory at least it's beautiful especially for dane who is like famously never gets like psyched or like talks up surfing or a session or anything and like he comes in dane's like peak stoke is saying like oh it's pretty sick out there huh yeah (laughs) that's as high as he goes that's like his like claim um so but it was cool to see him like he he was like giddy in his own dane way like you could see it in his face like he was like wow i can't believe that just happened like and it was i'm sure it was more than just that wave like that wave would have felt unbelievable but it was also he put so much pressure on himself to like in his creations to make something really good and powerful and he really felt like he needed this last session and it sort of just all came together so yeah it was like this 
uh, confluence of everything all at once. And yeah, it was peak Dane, I think. Yeah, go watch it. We had an exclusive window on Stab Premium, but it'll be there. Go check it out. Glad you scored. Oh, it's free now, though. By the time they're listening to this, it's free all over the internet. Everywhere on the internet. Go check it out. But you can still pay us to watch it if you Please want to. That's fine, too. do it. 20% off. It's a good deal. Does Switch Dance have a future in surfing? So... This is somewhat of a response to that Kauli last wave. I think it, it did spark some discussion, and even you and Stace got into it last week, which I want to start with. You laid out a scenario where it might be the end of the heat, somebody needs a nine, and say surfing had been had a system where you get way more points switch. You kind of said that would feel gimmicky. I look at that from such the opposite perspective. I think it'd almost be like, in football or something when you can go for like a two point conversion. I feel like it'd only be more exciting if somebody had the ability to like get riskier and try something different and potentially get rewarded. Like if it was this thing that you could do that would really add a lot of risk, but could potentially pay off, even if you're not going to do the same air or whatever it is, I feel like it'd be really cool to see that. Well, factor in. I guess what that would result in though, because just the way that, any sort of activity works when there are like clear rules defined. So say the rule was like, I think the example I gave was if you needed a nine and a wave that only had a six on it came through, you could go switch and potentially surf it to a nine, right? So that's like, say that you could, um, you know, add 33% to your score or whatever that, whatever that comes out to. So what that would do is it would just make every surfer from now the age of six basically learn how to surf in both directions. Because anybody that's a coach, anybody that's like trying to, you know, make sure that surfers get through heats is going to realize that just in a gamifying sense, you need to be able to do this to get yourself out of tricky situations. And then over time, that means that the whole thing is going to be pointless. That also, like I said, it would result in everybody being a really good switch surfer, which is kind of cool but then at the same time if everybody can do something it's not really cool or interesting anymore so a little bit existential but yeah it is but i do think that benefits the everyday surfer like i do think if we do tend to mirror what's happening in competition or at least try to and i do think if all the competitive surfers had a switch game everybody would kind of develop a switch game everybody that's like trying to surf well would develop a switch game and i mean we ran a poll on instagram this week asking if people like to go frontside or backside. I wasn't surprised by this result, but 82% of the people said they prefer to go frontside. Imagine if you could go frontside both ways. That's a win, and right now it just doesn't exist in surfing. And I'm going to say I'm extremely biased here. We've gone like three episodes without making fun of me for being a one-eyed pirate. Let's get back to it. Um, I'm a one-eyed pirate, and so when I go right, I hate everything because I can't see on my right eye and I'm goofy. I especially would benefit if I could serve front side decently going switch. Like I would my I would look at waves, I'd look at swell forecasts, I'd look at travel. Everything would be different if I was like could get properly tubed switch. But what if we like eradicated backside surfing? Like backside surfing is so beautiful in its own way. Think of Aki at Bells, Andy at Cloudbreak. Like, some of the most incredible okay. surfing ever done. Oh, fuck. You got to pull those, too, and get my heartstrings <laughs> with those, too. Fuck. Um, I thought you were going to bring Nat Young to the table. I was like, okay. Um, yeah, I, I feel very conflicted on this. Like, and, and I do think that it would result in people basically just going frontside all the time, which, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't seem that mm. cool to me. 
Yeah, I guess it would be weird to just eliminate backside. As much as I'm saying I want to do it, I just I admit that I'm biased there. It's interesting. I mean, I guess there might still be a purpose. I, I didn't factor that in. I didn't factor that in because I want to not factor it in. That's another existential problem. What I really liked about this piece, which is written by Mitchell Shepard, is he went and he talked to the WSL head judge, Pratamo Arendt, who actually broke down how they scored that wave of Kulivast. And it's not as straightforward at all as we imagine. So the commentators, Pete Mel and Kaipo Guerrero, were basically saying that, oh, it should have been an excellent score because of degree of difficulty, blah, blah, blah. And when I watched it, I assumed that the judges scored it just on the same the same scale that they would have scored anybody surfing that wave in their normal stance, whether they were regular, goofy, or whatever. Like they just scored the wave as they saw it. Turns out that was not the case whatsoever. And they actually had basically some conversation around what the score would have been for somebody surfing in their normal stance, and then how much added value that switch uh, sort of stance, attacking it in that sense, adds to the score. So you should actually read it because it's fascinating to hear how the WSL is thinking about this sort of thing and also looking at how sports like snowboarding and skateboarding approach this issue. Yeah, I like that take a lot. And one more thing I want to add here, which I've thought of for a while, is I think like, especially if you do a shove it or something in surfing, and a lot of people just end a wave like that, you know, like a, which can look sick if you do a high, you do a little grab. But I think if you did that, if you found a section mid-wave to do like a big kind of varial thing over a section, landed, and then could properly finish the wave switch, I think that would be so sick. I think that would be so fun to watch. So another little sneaky argument for it, but it's a great piece and it does break down how the WSL thinks about it. And who who knows? Like who knows what the future will have? Like Mateus Hurdy in an interview with us last year said that he sees it being a big part of surfing in the future. He said 11 year olds can already do backflips. So like where else do we go? I think switch could be a great way to kind of progress things. So I think it only takes one really good surfer to, to, to start taking it seriously to really change things. Like if somebody really has at it, I think have you seen change. Sebastian Williams? No. His switch backside surfing is unbelievable. Would 100% beat me in a heat at a right point break surfing backside wow, switch. Wow, okay, I'll check that out. You can see it on his Instagram. You might have to go back a while. I don't think he's posted one of these clips in a while, but he goes like 12, like not, he's basically not young. I'm actually going to go switch for the next week. I decided that this morning, I was thinking about a month and then it's kind of getting into like this season where you get tubed in Europe and it's kind of just been a summer where that hasn't been happening and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, risk that so a week seemed like an easy commitment i am going to spend the next week going switch i started it today it was absolutely horrible i had no fun i surfed horribly <laughs> the first thing that stuck out to me we could talk about it more next week when i actually have seven days under my belt but the first thing that just jumped out to me was how awkward it is to put your leash on your wrong foot it felt so strange, <laughs> and even, like, I realized I was so used to holding my board with my left arm because, you know, that was my leash on my left leg, and it'd be weird to carry my right arm. Like, even jumping into the water, I almost got, like, lit up by the shore break because I was so awkward. Like, so my session <laughs> just started poorly. Oh, and, Adriano. Oh. R.I.P. Yeah, I know. He's up there with Harambe. <laughs> but, yeah, it started so poorly, and... 
even like falling on waves, the way that a leash tugs your foot when you're not used to it is like it's painful. It's so bizarre. It just felt like such a fucking kook. So let that's actually really bold of you to not or to change your leash foot because if you keep it on the the normal foot, then you, a surfer who knows better will probably look at you and be like, "Oh, he's going switch." But by putting it on the correct foot for a regular foot surfer, which you are not, it really just makes people think that you're a bad surfer. I know. Well, I was, I've been thinking about that and I was out alone. I doubt <laughs> with my plan for the weekend, I doubt I'll surf alone, but I think I'll have to just get one or two and just try doing air or something. No, no, no. Still got it. Like, fuck you. <laughs> so I might break it a little bit, but only if I get a ramp. Just pure ego stroke. Pure, just one, just one. Let them have it. Not all small wave surfboards are created equal. This story by Holden, uh, his last name looks like a brand from 10 years ago, Trenka? It's like uh, Turnka. Uh, not many vowels in there, just the one at the end. Turnka. <laughs> Holden Turnka. This story goes into all the epoxy carbon combos that we see on the market these days, of which there are many. And this really weird thing happened where everybody just decided that they had to give them these similar names that are kind of like science. Like there's like a hi-fi and light speed. They all have like weird kind of tech. The turnka. The turnka. Yeah. It's all just like it, the names all feel really familiar and so, I mean, if you walk into a, a surf shop, a good surf shop, one that has 100 boards in it, I would almost say these days there's probably more epoxy, at least the ones that I've been into. Well, those ones that have a ton of boards, I feel like it's mostly epoxy because I really think they just feel better for the everyday surfer um, until they break. But this story breaks all of them down, talks about how they're similar, how they're different, it was really interesting because you see so many and I feel like it kind of snuck up on us. Like you started to see them a few years ago and they've definitely been around, but now it seems like every single major brand has something and they're pushing it. And I love the things to be honest. I love to hear your take. I know you try a million boards. How do you feel about these, these carbon epoxy combos that exist? Oh man. So Holden actually called me when he was writing this piece and like asked me for in info because obviously i do tests to surfboards i felt like such an idiot like i've ridden almost all of the constructions being discussed and i could do very little at least like in that you know extracted moment to differentiate between them because i think if you were to like ride that like line them all up and ride them you'd for sure be able to tell differences but like being separated from that and also you know, to a certain degree, it's hard to tell differences between constructions when at the same time you're also riding different shapes. Like there's no control there. The only way that you could really, really tell the difference between all these different constructions is to get 10 boards shaped exactly the same and then overlaid with these different constructions. And then even that would be like somewhat difficult, but you could at least be like, yeah, this is all on the construction because the shape is the same. So I found it really hard to differentiate. Luckily, he talked to um, Cody from Proof Lab, who he works with surfboards all day, every day, and he was able to actually give some good descriptions of what these different techs do. But yeah, it's it's a really tricky thing. And like even for myself, who again, part of my job is to test surfboards, like it, there's not a very simple answer to what is the best, why are they different, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, well, this is what that piece provides. Go check it out. And um, 
Yeah, I feel like I'm on. I got an anchor attached to my board when I don't have one of these in small waves now. I've like, it's one of those things that I feel like you could almost just break your surfing with. You get so used to something that's helping you generate speed that when you try to get on a board that isn't doing that for you, you just feel like you've lost something. You've lost a skill. Uh, I'm at that level. Um, I'm. I feel bad about it. You also, though, you ride a board that's 10 years old and weighs about 10 pounds, likely due to unfixed dings and being waterlogged. Oh, man, you should see that thing now. It's had a tough summer. (laughs) (laughs) And I do, okay, so there was one really great comment on this piece on the site, and it was from Smalley Biggs, who said, is anyone else out there struggling with how wide and voluminous these boards are getting? Stock dims on 510s are usually well over 19 and a half and 30 liters, which makes it hard to find a daily, daily driver, daily surfboard, that doesn't feel like a boat. To get anything 19 wide, you need to go down to a 5.6 on some of these, which doesn't feel right as an everyday board to me. Not a complaint, just an observation as someone in the market struggling to make a decision due to a high amount of variety. Is this something that you've noticed as well? I think so. I think he's on to something. I think we may have snuck into an era of medium performance surfboards and it happened quickly, but we've arrived. I think if you look around now, you'd realize we've arrived there. Yeah. And I have a theory. Like I really do think that, so like if you're a board manufacturer, especially a major board manufacturer, you know, a JS, a CI, DHD, et cetera, lost, you know, all the big ones, you are catering to a large demographic of people and you want to make as many of those people happy with every purchase that they make, right? So that means that you are essentially appealing to the average. And I would like to wager that the average surfer now is worse than the average surfer 10 years ago. And that's fair, strictly due to participation rates and people who recently learned to surf. You have all these people who came in with COVID. You know, I imagine like millions came in when the Ultimate Surfer came out. Um, At least, and these yeah. people, you know, so they, they have all their favorite surfers. They want to ride boards that they sort of align with those surfers. So they want 510s, they want 60s, but they suck. You know what I mean? They're ELO. So how do these brands be able to, you know, feed with the, feed these people what they want, stroke their ego, but also allow them to have a positive surfing experience and want to come back and buy their boards again? They put five liters of foam in there. So now all these stock dims that you're seeing at surf shops are all beefed up because they're made for not people who have surfed their entire lives, but people who learned to surf three years ago. I just have one takeaway there that I think I agree with. Oh, I agree with all that. One takeaway. What's that? Overly confident average surfers ruin everything. <laughs> Snow bros? Is that who you're talking about? Snow bros. <laughs> All right, it is time for a surf sin. This is one of the most complex surf sins that we've had. I really, I don't know what you do in this situation. Actually, I do know exactly what you do in this situation. Um, let's let Austin just jump straight in, but it's it's there's a lot to ponder here. All right, boys. I don't really know how to film the voice message for email so i'm just doing another video um i'm reaching out with a little surf sin this one's got me feeling pretty guilty but it's a little confusing because i can't tell if it's good karma that came to me or if it's going to give me bad karma so just looking for a little penance a little help with this one uh pretty much i just got back from a trip to indo um 
Before I left, I was scrambling to pick up a McFanning large replacement fin because I constantly lose my fins and still don't put screws in them for some reason. And they were completely out of stock um, before I left, so I ended up just taking some of my size medium fins and hoping for the best. Since I was riding a little longer board, so I thought I could probably get away with it. And the whole trip, surfing shallow reef so i'm dinging my fins dinging my board a bunch and before i was coming home i was heading over to some of the master dinger pair artists over there um i put in some fins to get fixed the philippe toledo mediums they had a couple cracks in them and they get repaired nicely i go to pick them up the guy hands them to me taped to a mick fanning large fin and instead of going hey I think he gave me some other Aussies fin with my fin set here. I instantly thought, hey, they probably just gave me my missing fin. I could just feel it, that it was the one I needed. And so I instantly throw them in my motorbike and ride back to my spot. And I did do the due diligence of calling back home to have someone check my two fins to make sure that it was the right one that I was missing, which it was. So I did just bring them home with me um i've had a lot of issues with fin boxes and fins lately so i'm not sure if this is going to just uh, increase that or if it was good karma coming back to me because i don't know what the odds of me happening to just get handed the exact fin that i'm missing are so looking for a penance on this one i'm feeling pretty guilty about it but i'm also pretty stoked so just let me know oh boy yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have anybody in my entire contacts that wouldn't have stolen that fin. <laughs> yeah, it does seem a little bit too like serendipitous. Like, it, would you would you have stolen the? Fin? I think so. I mean, okay, so here's here's how I think yeah. about it. Right, a set of thruster fins is worth what, like eighty, a hundred dollars. You know, it's it's not um, it's not an inconsequential sum. Like, it's you know, it's you definitely feel like, oh man, I'm really about to spend hundred dollars on a set of fins. Yeah, they're more than that. Two fins worth what? Maybe three dollars and fifty cents. Like they're absolutely—they have no value whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> like none. So one fin is even less than that. Like it's basically just an overly engineered guitar pick. So he's in a situation where, like, he this this fin that is you know being like accidentally handed to him, it has no inherent value on its own. But when taken by him it becomes this incredible value source to himself and maybe a future surfer who might also use those fins. So I think that if anything, he's doing the world good. He created more value. Yeah, but I mean, first of all, it's news to me that you can get fins repaired. Um, did you know that? <laughs> yeah, me too. No, no idea. Because I, I have some sets. If I look through my uh, fin quiver, there's a few that need that. So it makes sense. Like, why wouldn't you be able to just throw some fiberglass on it and smoothen it out? So that's cool that that happens, uh, for one. But, I mean, it sounds like somebody was getting this fin repaired. It wasn't just sitting there. If it was laying on the beach, then yeah, no problem. But it sounds like somebody was getting this fin repaired, which, great, new service. Hey, good stuff. Um, and now, so what I'm worried about is, like this guy said, there's somebody that's going to come and be like, okay, yeah, where's my Mick fin? And they're going to be like, uh-oh, like, we don't know where the Mick fin is. And then that guy's going to be bummed, and there's going to be a whole thing, so... I mean, it's not like he just found this thing. You find this thing 
underwater, then you're sweet. Yeah, but that's, that's true. It does here. feel like you are taking it away. Like, this is a sin. It's certainly what he did was not right. But I'm just saying, like, to your point, I think everybody would have done that in the same situation. And to the person who, you know, the Mick Finn is now missing, they could always just call Ethan. Yeah, I know. They could. That's We'll give them your number. We'll list it in the show notes. We really should. His personal <laughs> cell phone number. He'll never answer. He doesn't even answer us. Yeah, well, good luck getting to him. But in theory, he'll sort you out. So that's a good point, Mikey. And the other thing I want to call out is his due diligence. Because I'm sure he kind of like left that open of of like, okay, I'm going to call home and let that be the deciding factor. Because if, if it wasn't the correct fin, then like obviously he'd give the thing back. But when that, when yeah, that there was no value. text or call or however it came back from home was like, yep, it's that fin. Like, <laughs> I love that he tried it. I love that he didn't save it for that moment of getting home and seeing it for himself. Like it's, you could tell that's like, that to me is that goodness of a person trying to come out, but also setting himself up, just make that decision to not return the fin. So yeah, but like I said, I would have done it. I don't think anybody I know would have brought the fin back. But do you know who wouldn't have done it, Buck? You know who wouldn't have done it? Is Michael Eugene Fanning. Perhaps the most upstanding surfing citizen that we've ever seen. Um, just a generally amazing person and obviously the creator of this very fin. So as a penance, um, what I think he needs to do is he really needs to get into that mindset of Mick Fanning so that he can be a better person moving forward. So his penance, for me at least, is that he has to perform Mick Fanning's 25-minute at-home workout five days a week for the next month. You can find it on YouTube. It's just literally called Mick Fanning Takes You Through His At-Home Surf Workout. It's on Rip Curl's YouTube. And you got to do that five times a day or five times a week for a month. Wow. Okay. So you just want this guy to go win some world titles. That's the, He's just on the up and up now. Yeah. We're, we're trying to heal people. We're trying to make the world a better place. So he's going to be physically fit. He's going to be, uh, he's going to have an incredible forehand wrap. And he's hopefully going to be thinking more like Mick moving forward. Okay. Well, you know, I had a few ideas in my head, and you're inspiring me with this one, so I'm going to go down a similar route, different take on it. Um, like I said, I don't know anybody who would have given that fin back, so what that shows me is that we're kind of in, like, original sin territory, and mm. basically that's saying we're all just flawed beings, and the only way that we could maybe even try to be good in life is if somebody tells us that we face eternal damnation if we don't. Uh, do good and so i think to show that you need signs of um of these models or just kind of sacred beings around us to remind us to try to model their behavior and be good people so in that mick vein what i'm going to say is that he should get a low-level artist to draw something even just like a caricature how do you say it caricature 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 he needs to get somebody to draw or paint something of mick and at his home break he needs to put it somewhere prominent that it will last for a little bit like don't just put it somewhere where somebody's gonna get to it immediately put it somewhere that's like kind of hard to get but basically get a piece of mick fanning an art that you've commissioned of mick fanning in a place to remind everybody to be more holy to be good people because we obviously need it um and so that's my sin. Like, there's sites where you can get that done pretty cheap. Like, five bucks, you can get somebody to draw a custom thing of Mick. 
almost one of those situations where the worse the better like make it almost not recognizable but enough kind of cues in the drawing to if anybody who knows they're going to get it so get it somewhere prominent hopefully it sticks around a while hopefully the world becomes a little bit of a better place while we're on the topic of surf sins Jeff is going to come on. He's going to confess, but Jeff was the man who inspired our 20% off stab premium code that we're currently doing for podcast listeners. If you go to stabmag.com right now, click a premium article. It's going to ask you to pay if you're not already a subscriber. Enter the code DROPWALLETS, no caps, on checkout, and 20% will magically disappear like your McFanning fin that you try to get repaired in Bali. Go do it. <laughs> Mikey, do the thing where you tell them it's a great way to support the show. Yeah, you know, you scratch our backs, we'll return all of your lost fins. <laughs> no, but really, using this discount code helps support the podcast, and it makes sure that we can continue to come back every single week with your surf news and have these chats. So drop wallets, one word, drop wallets. Go get a premium membership. Yeah, we already saw a bunch of you already have, and we really, really appreciate that. Um when Jeff confesses because he says it's a surf sin to listen and not subscribe, he's going to address it next week, but it is a surf sin, so use this code or face eternal damnation, and it's really your call. Drop wallets. One word. One word. Thank you, Buckley, and thank you to all of our sinners out there. We are, of course, among you in that. We're all sinners in this world, surfing and otherwise. So if you have your own sin, you can feel free to submit them to michael at stabmag.com or bucketstabmag.com, and we will deliver your penance, which is always fair, every single time. Uh, with that, next week we'll be coming back to talk more about how surfers get paid. In fact, Sam McIntosh is going to come onto the pod and explain everything. Basically all the behind the scenes, everything you wanted to know about this series, and more, Sam will be explaining. And beyond that, we've got lowers coming up in just a couple weeks, so sooner rather than later, Stacy and I are going to come on and dedicate an entire episode to talking about the WSL Finals. And with that, um, yeah, over and out.